0: following is an excerpt from a live talk given by thought leader philip gilpin if it involves the television or streaming industry he's the go-to guy with all of the statistics and i wanted to share it with you because i think there's some great information in here so stand by we have another edition of owc radio coming up in a moment
1: it's time for owc radio tech talk with creatives conversations with host serena catania
0: Philip Gilpin is former executive director and now CEO of Catalyst Stories. And Catalyst, for those of you who don't know, is the company that is sponsoring our nonprofit, High School Media Collective. So we are a project of Catalyst and you guys are going to be going to Catalyst in the fall thanks to Mr. Gilpin and the whole staff there. We're going to arrange a showcase for you. We'll work out all the details. We'll get back to you again, but I wanted to bring Philip on today. We've known each other for many years and we've been through a lot together, including driving through blizzards to get to to visit the governor of Vermont. That's another story, but so much going on. He grew up in Boston and he started making videos for his family when he was just a little tyke on VHS. And then he got his BS in science and mathematics at Boston College, but he kept working his love, which was television and film and entertainment. And then he went to LA and he was a business analyst at HBO for several years. So Philip has the creative, he has the business side. You can probably ask him any question you want to about the business of television and film and one thing he may or may not want me to mention here but he has a great ballet dancer and he is an amazing ice skater so so he's got he's got it all going um welcome philip thank you serena it's great to see you hi everybody how are you today good
2: <laughs> uh, really looking forward to to meeting you all up here in duluth sorry i couldn't make, make it down there in person i was trying to drive down there in surprise but uh it just didn't work out so we're up in uh, Duluth, Minneapolis area, not too far. For those who haven't, this is Duluth right behind me. I took this photo from somebody who took it during the one day when there's not snow on the ground. And that's how we show the world Duluth now. But yeah, this is Lake Superior here. And then downtown Duluth is right here. The festival, you'll all be staying and partying and hanging out right around here. Looking forward to having you all here.
0: Yeah, so Serena, how do you want me to, how do you want to do this? What I wanted you guys to know a little bit about today is where the business is now, if you can give us some guidance about that. And Philip, anything you want to talk about is great with me. So I'm curious about the TV industry and I'm also curious to do a poll with the kids about where they actually watch their entertainment. So I'll let you take it from here for a minute. I have it so that you are allowed to share so you can share from there you want to whenever you're ready
2: great one of the things that i didn't learn until after i got out of college and i started working at hbo is just how different tv is from film there's a misnomer out there that if you learn to be a cinematographer or director a writer a producer an actor and you grow up making your own films that you can just translate that over to television it's fascinatingly difficult to do that. TV is its own animal. Being a director on a TV set is very different from being a director on a film. Being a writer on a TV show is extremely different from being a writer on a film. Producing them, two things couldn't be more different. And so what we're trying to do at Catalyst is we don't focus on film. There are hundreds of film schools out there. There are thousands of film festivals. Serena started one of the greatest ones. And film's got its world covered. But when it comes to TV, when it comes to episodic, when it comes to anything that is created in an episodic format in your brain, as you're seeing the story world in front of you, uh, it's important that we get out into the world the knowledge about how making an episodic is just so different. It has its things that are more difficult. It has its things that are a little bit easier. But the first thing I want to ask you guys is how many of you already make your own content of any sort? How many of you make that content and distribute it on a a social media platform? The ones who make it and don't distribute it on social media, where are you distributing it? Nowhere, kind (laughs) of, okay. What we're seeing in the TV industry is this switch obviously from the old way TV works to the new way that you guys are making and consuming content. So just a little pop quiz, show of hands. How many of you watched uh, actual like hour long or half hour or hour long TV show in the last couple of weeks. All right, now keep your hands up if you watch that show on NBC.
0: How about ABC? Yeah, CBS? Yeah,
2: Fox? Yeah, you're killing me here, guys. Okay, how about YouTube? No, uh, a couple. All right. HBO?
0: Okay. Hulu. Big one. And Netflix. Yeah, there it is. What about Disney
2: Plus? Oh, Disney Plus. You got any Disney fans in there? And Amazon. So what about social media? How many of you watch what you would consider to be a TV show on either Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, something like that? Do you guys watch any episodic content online? No. So it's all just streamers. That is obviously fascinating and a major switch in the way the industry works. I want to kind of give you guys an overview of what the business of the industry is like. I want to start off by just giving you some numbers. The TV and film industry spends about 49 billion, with a B, $49 billion a year, making the content that we all watch. Each production is actually its own company entity. And that production will hire people, like all the cast and crew, and it will go out and it will hire a bunch of local businesses for goods and services so anything and everything you can think of that you see on screen has to be bought or created or built by somebody somewhere and then there's all the crew behind the scenes and then even farther behind that you have all the people in the production office and then even farther behind that you've got all of the agents the managers the new networks, the studios, the entire business operation of the industry. So just to kind of start at the top and give you the overview, there's $49 billion floating around the U.S. that's being spent on producing stuff every year. And as a creator or as a producer or a writer, director, actor, any of those things, your job is just to figure out how do you get into the ecosystem, where do you want to be in that ecosystem And what is it that you really enjoy doing and how can you contribute to that process? One of my favorite things about the TV and film arts is that it's one of the only art forms that requires extreme collaboration from lots of other people. If you're a painter, you can just go into your room and paint. You don't need anybody's permission. You don't need other people there painting with you. Same thing goes for musicians and dancers and and elsewhere. But when it comes to TV and film, with the rare exception of somebody who just shoots like selfie stuff on their phone, you can't do it alone. You can't create the shows that you guys are watching on the streaming networks without hundreds of other people involved. So that's just kind of a, a starting point. $49 billion is a lot of money. So when it comes to the question of who's spending it, this is a bit of a breakdown. This is a couple years old, so it's not totally true, but it's close. Netflix is spending about $17 billion a year. Disney's ramping up. It's interesting how it goes down. you got AT&T, HBO down there, which obviously is now part with Warner Brothers, part with Discovery. So there's been some mergers even since this chart was made. But just to put that into some local context, I don't know what size town or hospitals you guys have near you, but up here in Duluth, hospital is kind of a big thing in town. And They spent like $900 million building a new hospital here over the last few years. And it's just the biggest project that's ever been done in this part of the country, period. Netflix spends that like every two to three weeks, just making content. So if you think about what $17 billion would do in your community, in your state, or in your part of the country, it's pretty incredible the economic impact that that productions can have when it comes to what do they spend it on? There's a weird kind of misnomer about our industry, which is people think that it's all the famous actors and directors and stuff who are making all the money. Yeah, it's true. There are a few who get some big paydays, but on average, about 60 to 75% of any production's budget is spent on everything else, not the actors, the writers, the directors, and the producers and the editors but everything else that has to happen in order to make it work. You can see a breakdown there on the right side of the screen. You've got everything from construction to hotels and restaurants and real estate and accounting and all these other things. If your families have small businesses or big businesses are work at large companies, there's a good chance that those companies could have some type of role in a production, especially if they're goods and services related. So, for example, when we had a production that just recently came through Duluth, they spent about two million dollars over the course of a few weeks just at the local hotels and restaurants and flower shops and catering and van rentals and construction equipment to build sets and all these kinds of things. So there are two types of categories in a production. You have what's called above the line which is all your creative people, writers, directors, actors, producers, editors. And then you have what's called below the line, which is the workforce, the, all the thing, people that make it happen. The terms above and below the line, they're from the old Hollywood system days. They just have to do with where on a physical piece of paper on a budget these folks show up. But it's just good to know that even if you start off wanting to be a content creator, but you decide, kind of decide that maybe that's not for you, there's still a lot of opportunity to be in this industry, even behind the scenes, which is actually a lot of fun and pretty neat. Just as an example, here are some of the types of all the different jobs that go into the behind the scenes location, sec, decoration, props, makeup, costume, art department, grip and lighting. That's all your electric and your lights and everything. You've got transportation, food, and everything else. Reproducing reality takes a lot. <laughs> so here is a breakdown of the different levels of productions. This is by no means exact. I kind of divided the industry into four buckets, if you will. At the smaller economic end of it, you have student film and online content. So basically, you, me, and a couple friends pick up a camera and decide we're going to go raise $5,000 and we're going to go shoot a little short six-part episodic that has three-minute episodes in it, and we're going to do it in our apartment and around the local park. Totally viable, great way to make content. I mean, we all get stuck watching reels on Instagram or Facebook, and we all get stuck watching reels on Snapchat and stuff, and those are under, usually under a minute long. So what's been interesting is to see the industry focus on these smaller short form ways of making content because here's the industry's kind of big dirty secret is everybody that creates and distributes content is competing for the same thing, which is eyeballs, right? And the weird fact about our industry that makes it so that you and a couple of friends with your phone can compete against Netflix, which is literally what you're doing, is we all only have so many hours in the day where we're alive to watch content. And if you and your friends end up watching three hours of content a day on Snapchat, Netflix can't get that three hours back from you. It's gone, it's out the door. So eyeballs are a finite quantity in our industry that everybody's competing to get. And whether your distribution platform is advertising-based like a Hulu or a major network, or I guess soon to be Netflix too, or it's subscription-based where you don't have to pay for ads, however the economic business model of it is, that fundamental fact will never change. So you have these four buckets of production that are all competing for eyeballs at different rates and different levels student films and indie film and tv those are typically non-union projects sometimes they might like hire one union actor or something like that the budgets on those are varied an average independent film budget two to four million dollars these days maybe a little bit less the average indie tv show Will probably go for $30,000 to forty thousand dollars an episode, as compared to four or five million per episode when you get up into the massive Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings level, just craziness. In fact, Amazon just released the first like few snippets of their new Lord of the Rings series, and they spent like one billion dollars producing that series. It's just it's an astonishing amount of money. Anyways, this just gives you a range. Uh, an idea of the different ranges of productions that are out there to go to the far end the big tv series and just break down what one of those looks like here's game of thrones so as serena mentioned i used to work at hbo i was the business affairs analyst responsible for maintaining the contracts on sopranos six feet under sex in the city curb your enthusiasm the wire a bunch of their really big shows this is one of the breakdowns of game of thrones they had about 3,600 employees on Game of Thrones. That's a lot of people. In local Duluth terms, that's more than our electric company and our university have combined, just on one TV show. And you can see all the different types of things that they spend that money on. So that's kind of the, the overview of the business. Now, real quick, I just want to spend like five minutes here. And Serena, give me the, you know, the head nod or whatever when you got to yank me off. So when it comes to TV, here's one of the things that makes it very different from film is there are really three different cycles happening simultaneously on the TV side. A lot of people just focus on the creative cycle, which is, I want to be an actor. I want to be a writer. I want to be a director, which is great. But then there's the business side. And then there's also the audience side of it too. And one of the art forms of being a producer in TV is that you have to kind of master all of those domains at once. And that's really the enigmatic job of a producer I don't know if you watch the Emmys or the Oscars every year, you know how when they do like best actor, the actor who wins gets up on stage, right? It's pretty obvious. But when they do best film, it's a bunch of people you probably never heard of. Those are the producers. The producers are actually the ones who are hired by the studios or networks to make the film or TV show. And then it's the producer that goes out in partnership with, if there's like a big name star, like a Tom Cruise or somebody, if it's not that type of an exception, the producer will be the person who goes out and hires all the actors and directors and writers and everybody. When it comes to film, you can have as little as one writer and one director on a film, right? Sometimes it's one writer who wrote the script and it's one director who makes the thing. And that's great. That can work. In TV, no. When you have a series, you have the producer who actually changes their title to something called a showrunner, is the one who's in charge of the show. And the reason for that is there are a number of writers and directors and other assistant associate producers working underneath that person to make all the episodes happen so that you can see a full season over the course of six months or a year. So on TV, instead of having a single writer like with a film... You can have a writer, you have a writer's room, and writers' rooms can be anywhere from I've seen them as small as four or five people up to being like 18 or 20. So imagine you created an idea for a TV show and you magically get it optioned and sold through the network system. And Netflix says, yes, here's a million dollars, we want to make it. One of the first things they're gonna do is put you in a writer's room with a bunch of other people who are gonna help you write your idea. And it's really a big leap and transition for creative people to go from oh this is my baby to oh i have to collaborate with other people on how to make my tv show. And so that's why Catalyst exists is to help you learn and help teach how tv really works and make sure it's something you actually want to get into before you start down that path. Maybe you find out you really just love working alone and you want to be a film person and that's great. But this is one of the the kind of quirks of how tv works. So the last thing I'll end on here and then we we can take some questions is taking a deep look into the creative cycle of just being a creative person in general. It starts with housing, right? You have to have a place where you can work and think and create your ideas. And you have to have the time to be able to hang out and do that. It's one of the great resources that high school and college students have, which is you have housing and you have the time to be able to work on things whether it's in your own house or not, whether you're living with other people or whatnot, take advantage of this opportunity you have to write out all your ideas and start working on creating you know, the worlds that you want to live in and that you want to see on screen. I often like to say that making a film is telling a story and stories have a beginning, they have a middle, they have an end. Making a TV show is really like creating an entire story universe or a story world in which there are a lot of other stories that crisscross and can live forever. One of the interesting parts about making a film is that when you go to raise the money for it, you have a pretty good idea of how long it's gonna take you to shoot it, how much money you need, how many people you're gonna hire, when it's gonna be distributed, that kind of thing. When you go to make a TV show, you really have no idea. It's kind of like walking in and somebody saying, hey, I want to give you money for your TV show. How much do you need? And you're like, well, I know I need a million dollars for the first few episodes, but if it gets really popular and goes on for eight seasons, I have no idea how much that's going to cost. (laughs) And so that's one of the interesting gambles about TV, which is the finances can be a little wonky. Then the question becomes, well, how do you get somebody to invest in your TV series idea if the numbers are a little funky? And the answer is relationships. TV is extremely, extremely relationship-based. Why? The reason I just said, somebody's gonna basically give you a bunch of money and trust that you know what you're doing with it. That's a very different marketplace than independent film. When you have a film and you take it to Sundance, buyers can look at your film, watch it from beginning to end and decide whether or not they like the thing you've already made. They don't have to question whether or not the story that you wanna tell is good on screen. They can choose if they like it when you come to a catalyst or you have a TV show idea, you haven't made the full series. So that investor is taking a massive gamble on you and they want to know that, you know, this entire creative process, that you know what you're doing, that you've taken the time to learn and go through the education process of how TV works and what your role is in it. If you're the producer and you want to be in charge of the money that, you know, how financing works. And production. And that's just a real high level kind of overview of the main difference between TV and film. Catalyst is one of only a couple independent TV organizations. Catalyst is one of the only Indie TV festivals and institutes that are out there. And so we're just really excited to to have you guys here today and and have you maybe start TV career if you, you know, if you're interested in it. And looking forward to having you up in Duluth. And I can't wait to see what kind of stuff you guys are going to showcase.
0: Do you have any advice for them as they're putting together our thoughts on what they're going to be presenting in Duluth? Oh, there's Mr. Douglas at the podium.
1: So good to see you again. So we met each other out at NAB and uh, that was fantastic. So love this. I can't tell you how incredibly relevant this was. So Vince is down right now in Miami shooting for an Apple TV series with uh, Bill Lawrence. And so these guys got a chance to actually ask Bill Lawrence questions on Thursday, which was absolutely insane. One of the hottest, biggest showrunners in television. And he mentioned all these different terms and I'm so thankful that you just gave them context on everything they just heard. So that was awesome. And then we're also producing that this whole group over two weeks, we were going to do a six series episodic piece. And then we went through the process and actually received feedback from him and his sister, whose nieces are here, who also does screenwriting and structural work. And so we were kind of working through that. So I'll let them ask the questions on that. But this is incredibly relevant for what you're you're giving us. Uh, what I would love to hear a little bit more is kind of what the day-to-day look of the festival. So I hate to overpromise because not everybody, honestly, financially probably can get up there and we're going to figure out those details as best we can. But just paint the picture of what the multiple-day festival experience is there, specifically in Duluth, and kind of how that kind of process goes. Thanks.
2: Sure, yeah. So the festival originally started in Los Angeles 17 years ago. And the reason we left LA and moved to a place like Duluth is so that it gives you that kind of getaway retreat vibe. The point of Catalyst is that you come here to make relationships with other people organically. So not just walking around, handing out business cards, going, hey, who are you? What do you do? Can you help me? And going to the theater and seeing new shows. So the festival itself is comprised of three components. We have about 50 or 60 new television shows that the world has never seen before that we see first. So you get to come up and be part of the audience jury that sees all these new TV show concepts before they've even gone to network. The second is we have scripts and podcasts. So you can come and see live table reads of scripts. You can listen to podcasts and meet the people who are writing and creating these things. And then the third is all the education, all the panels and the workshops and everything. And that's where you get to sit in rooms like these in person and work with a showrunner from the Goldbergs or the writer from such and such, or the showrunner from other shows and really figure out what part of that process do you love? What do you want to work on? Unlike a film festival, which is focused on selling films, Catalyst is focused on building relationships. We have a saying in the TV industry, which is it's relationships before deals. And before you get your agent or your manager, or you sell your first show, you're going to have gone through making this entire web of probably at least 10 or 20 core industry friends. And it can be absolutely impossible to make those friends in big cities, LA, New York, Chicago, Atlanta. If you just fly in and land and like move to LA and open up a little production studio and and get a house in Santa Monica or whatever, right? Good luck. There's a million other of you. But when you come to a place like Duluth for four days where there's a thousand other TV professionals and you're all sitting at the same restaurants and you're all hanging out in the same theaters and you're all taking a walk by the same lake, you get to just say, hey, hi, I'm Philip. Who are you? Oh, you're Serena. Great to meet you. Isn't it a beautiful day? That kind of basic just human element is what we build our festival to be. It's kind of like a big industry campfire for like TV nerds, basically. (laughs) And so... I would wrap it up by saying networking and building those relationships is often the most enigmatic and difficult part of the process because it always feels unfair. And it always feels like the entire industry is based on people who already know each other and how could you ever possibly break into that? And that's sad, but unfortunately kind of true. So there's two solutions. One is get to know people in a relaxing retreat setting like this, or two, build your own network. And then once you've got your own network built, you can all rise together. That's what's been happening with us. There are people who worked with me a few years ago who are now the number one assistant to the showrunner on Grey's Anatomy. She went out there as a writer. She's also an actress part-time. Turned out the writers needed an actress for a role one day. She just did two episodes of Grey's Anatomy based on five or six levels of relationships that she started at Catalyst back in 2015. Don't feel like you're doing anything wrong because nobody knows what they're doing in this business. We're all making it up as we go every day. Some just have some successes, end up with some big checks and can ride those things out. But you get to make it up as you go, which I think is a fascinatingly cool part about our industry. Once you're 18, there's no rules. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have gone to the certain school. You don't have to do this before you do that. You just go. Welcome to the industry. And I think that's kind
0: of neat. It is neat. And I love Catalyst. I really am just in love with the festival. I think you guys do an awesome job. I guess we'll see you in Duluth fairly soon, right? Steve, good to see you again. Everybody hope to see you in Duluth soon and enjoy the rest of the summit. Thanks, Serena. Bye, Philip. I'm going to stay on for just a minute just to make sure you guys don't have any other questions. You probably want to get to filming, which is fine, but Yeah, you're nodding your heads. Yes, we want to go shoot. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for being here. And I hope that you're getting inspired by all these amazing people. And I wish you luck. Break a leg today with your shoot. Thank you. Take good care of each other. Do great work. And I'll see you again tomorrow. Tomorrow we have some great people. So this this is going to be awesome.
1: Thanks so much again, Serena, for putting all all this together, inviting us uh, into your network and your relationships. We so appreciate it.
0: Have a great day. Thinking about you guys. Bye.